You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. Greetings, everybody. Peter Maribel is here. On behalf of City Lights booksellers and publishers and the City Lights Foundation, I'd like to welcome you to another installment of City Lights Live, the virtual extension of our events calendar, where we continue to celebrate the works of authors we know and love through readings, discussions, and forums. As is customary at the outset of each event, I would like to acknowledge that we are beaming to you from the unceded ancestral grounds of the Ramatishaloni peoples, also known as the San Francisco Bay Area. We would like to take this moment to offer respect to those who have come before us as stewards of the land. Tonight, City Lights, in conjunction with A Public Space, celebrate the publication of The Sorrow of Others by Ada Zhang, published by A Public Space. Uh, The Sorrows of Others has been selected for the National Book Foundation's Five Under 35 series by Jamil Jan Kochai. Uh, We're delighted to have with us tonight Ada Zhang in conversation with Belinda Huanchan Tang. Uh, The Sorrows of Others is Ada Zhang's fiction debut. It is a remarkable collection of stories exploring the lives of people who are cast as outsiders. She explores life after China's cultural revolution via a very rich and nuanced prose. Ada Zhang's tales explore the concept of home, what it means to immigrate, what it means to decide to remain somewhere, how identity and self is shaped by these experiences. Ada Zhang is a graduate of the IR Writers Workshop. Her short stories have appeared in A Public Space, McSweeney's, Alaska Quarterly Review, and many other places. She makes her home in New York City, where she is associate editor of adults and children's books at Running Press. So Belinda Huinchen Tang is the author of A Map for the Missing, long-listed for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize. She is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, where she was a Truman Capote Fellow and recipient of the um, Michener Copernicus Fellowship. She currently makes her home in Los Angeles. A few words about our co-sponsor, A Public Space is an independent nonprofit publisher of the award-winning literary and arts and cultural magazine and A Public Space Books, which is their publishing division. Under the direction of their founding editor, Bridget Hughes, since 2006, it has been their mission to seek out overlooked and unclassifiable work and to publish writing from beyond established confines. And we're delighted to be celebrating one of their new book releases as we have featured the journal at City Lights for many, many years and welcome their entrance into the publishing realm. So please give them a warm welcome now to Ada and Belinda. Welcome to City Lights. Congratulations. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much, Peter. What an intro. Um, Hi, everyone. (laughs) Um, Thank you all for being here. Uh, Apologies that my voice is fried. Um, I had a really lovely lunch um, on Tuesday. Um, I'm not used to talking to so many people. anymore so um but i'm gonna read um just for a little bit about four minutes um uh from the first story in the collection um so there's nothing you need to know i'm gonna jump right in it's called the subject the summer before my junior year i moved out of the dorms in baxter hall on the corner of broadway and east 10th and took a room in a small house on cherry avenue flushing queens I told my friends it was to save money, and they didn't ask why I didn't move to Brooklyn or Long Island City. Anywhere would have been closer. I suppose it was a point of pride among my college friends to live frugally, even if it was selective. Even if it was abstract, since it was our parents' money we were spending every time we went out, our parents who paid our rents. But we were all very young back then, and I regarded hardship the same way I regarded my own shadow. I was aware of it, but rarely thought of it. Either way, it did not frighten me. The house was a low, squat rectangle with a patchy yard and a maroon awning over the front door. The windows were barred, a chain-link fence wrapped around the house, separating it from the sidewalk and from the homes on either side, which looked more or less the same as ours, the two-bedroom I shared with Granny Tan, red brick with asphalt shingles scaling the roof, all faded and curling around the edges. 
at parties that summer, my living situation lent me an air of authenticity. I'd recently bleached my hair and dyed it blue to make up for the fact that I did not grow up in a progressive household. My parents are Chinese immigrants. We were middle class. Their politics were what you might expect. They believed in taxing the rich, but not in affirmative action. At the time, this brought me a deep sense of shame. I live in Flushing, I would tell a room full of hipsters, most of them art students like me. They all stepped closer. My roommate is this old Chinese lady. How old, someone would ask. In her 70s, I think. Why does she need a roommate? To save money, I guess, I would say, and shrug. Same reason as anybody else. The hipsters would nod and drink their beers, smug in the idea that there was a real one among us. There was a palpable fear in every young liberal back then that one could never be poor enough or of color enough to outweigh whatever privileges one had. Even those on scholarship felt insecure. We talked our heads off about gentrification but said nothing when friends moved to Bushwick or Ridgewood, the then up and coming neighborhoods. It was amid such confusion and self-loathing that I began searching for a new place to live. I loved Flushing because I chose to be there, but at the time I believed I loved it for different reasons. The food, Chinese restaurants all up and down Main Street, noodles and dumplings next to Thai restaurants, Korean, Vietnamese, and the people who looked like they could be my relatives, the aunts and uncles and cousins I saw once every three or four years. We lived close to the botanical garden where it was quiet. I figured that was why the streets had such names as Maple, Blossom, Dahlia, Elder. I wanted to be an artist, a painter. It requires a certain amount of idealism to make art, and that comes more easily to some than others. The more privilege you had, the more ideal you ought to be, and the more you should be expected to suffer. That was what I thought. Portraiture was a dying form, and still is, but I decided that if I was going to make a name for myself, painting faces was the only way. It was political and also romantic, my desire to suffer. It served me well while I had few responsibilities. I took a job at the bubble tea shop next to the Flushing Station, making $12 an hour, scooping tapioca balls inside a shoe box that fit three customers at a time. I didn't need the work, but it felt in line with who I thought I was becoming. At night, the blue darkness of my room in that house, with one fan blowing on me from the nightstand and another rotating around the room, I wrote my obituary. In college, she lived in Flushing, Queens, the last stop on the seven train, and a predominantly Chinese immigrant community. She lived prudently and apart from distractions so she could focus on her art. I used to recall fantasizing about death and cringe, but not anymore. Now I think how lovely it is that even death was dressed in the glamour of my dreams. I'm gonna stop there, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ada. Um, that was such a beautiful reading and the subject and compromise are my two favorite stories of the collection. So it's so nice to hear you read from it. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> I wanted to start by asking you, um, can you tell us a little bit about the story of the story collection? What were the earliest stories that came together? Um, and when did you begin to know that you had a collection on your hands? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, when I started writing, I, uh, I think I was, I was learning, I mean, through this entire book, I think this was, I, I think you, um, every project kind of teaches you um, how to be the writer you need to be in order to do that project. Um, and so, and so when I started writing, I had no idea that this would be a collection. I, I was just uh, just trying to um, learn how to write a story. Um, and uh, the first story that I wrote was Propriety, and it is it is in this collection. Um, and uh, I wrote that one when I was uh, 22. Uh, I am 30 now. Uh, so um, yeah, and I, I I was just at the time I was I just graduated from college. I had this wonderful creative writing teacher, who was incredibly supportive, um, and uh, and I just was living in New York. I work in publishing. Uh, I did then. I still do. Uh, and I uh, and I was just writing on weekends and evenings and whenever I could sneak it in. And then um, yeah, and then it got to a point where uh, I think 
Belinda, we've actually talked about this before, where it just felt like you just want to give yourself over to this thing you're doing. You don't, you don't want to do it on the side. You, you just want to like totally, um, uh, uh, you know, just abandon yourself to the will of, 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 of the stories. And so, and so then I, um, yeah, then that's when I went to Iowa and then my pace kind of picked up and, and, uh, but I still did not think I was writing a book or anything like that. I was, I still felt like I was learning how to, how to write. Um, and uh, it wasn't until um, the pan the pandemic happened, and there was I was unemployed for nine months, and there was really nothing else to do <laughs> except work on the book. And um, and also it was just like really a, a good a good. It was I think about the pandemic, and I, I spent more time with my characters than I did with any real people. Um, so. So I'm really actually very grateful that I had something to work on during that time. But um, and then I think like after it was really thin that I I still was kind of in denial. But I was like, hey, I think I have like the right number of stories. And it was and then I put them all into one document. So I didn't do that until like 20, 2020. And so I put them all into one document. Um, and and then it felt like, OK, I think this is starting to look like a collection. Um, and, uh, and, and then of course, then you start, and then it's incredibly exciting. One part of the process of, of putting together this book that I didn't anticipate being so thrilling was seeing, um, like putting the stories together and seeing how they talk to each other and like how they, um, you know, explore um, uh, similar, similar themes, I guess, or, um, uh, uh, you know, ask uh, the same question in different ways. Um, so, so that was it. Really, it, it it was. I didn't know that it would be such a change because for so long I was really just working on each story on its own terms. I thought of them on their own, and then putting them, and then you know, putting putting them all together. Um, it 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 felt like uh, you know the whole was greater than the than the sum of its parts. Like that the collection was was bigger than than just each individual story together. Um, so so that's kind of the TLTR of of the of, of the sorrows of others. Yeah. Cool. And I think so. Um, I've heard from you after it sold to public space after they acquired the book, you revised many of the stories. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I did a. I think I had a, I had a pretty slow runway towards publication. It was like two, like fully two years, maybe a little even over two years. So, a lot of revision definitely happened. Yeah. What was it like to revisit um, a story that you wrote when you were twenty-two, when you were almost thirty, and um, what did you encounter that you surprised you and that you wanted to edit out or keep? That is a really great question um, because I when I was. I mean, one thing that I, some, someone told me this one time and it was, it was really um, heartening for me to hear as a young writer. Um, cause, cause even, yeah, when I was like, you know, it, it took my first stab at writing a story in my undergraduate creative writing class, you know, I was like, what material do I have? I'm like 12 years old. <laughs> like I, you know, I haven't, um, you know, I had all this self-consciousness of like, I don't know if that I've like lived enough to like, to really have any authority on on a story but then I remember someone said to me like no like you you like as a young person at any point in your life you have to be writing things because you can only write those stories at that time in your life um so like when you're older you will be able to write those stories but also when you're younger you won't you can you can only write these stories that are like now and so like um and that was really heartening to hear um but um I, I, with propriety specifically, I did have a moment where I was, I was still tinkering with that story. And I realized like, oh my God, I've like been messing around with this story for so long now. Um, and, you know, and there are ways in which like, I, I look at the story and I'm like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a young writer's story, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm like very fine with that. I'm, I, I like that. It's a kind of like a record of myself at that time. And, um, and I, and I, yeah, and I don't think I like could or would or could like write that story now. So I'm glad that I um, started it then and um, that I got to see it through um, into, 
into into book form um but it is strange it is strange because like I feel like um you do especially upon publication like you become kind of estranged from the work a little bit um but but it's nice that then you get to you know share it with other people um and and that helps you look at it in a different way um, that's really interesting. And I really admire your attitude because I've heard a lot of writers who say like, even after a book is published, they want to go back and revise the stories. Um, and they're still thinking of ways that, you know, a story could change. Um, do you feel that way at all? Or do you feel just happy letting them out and allowing them to be set in stone now? You know, actually, yeah. I mean, like, actually the, I was, you know, I, I think that you can do that forever. Like you can revise forever. I think, um, I think it was like Carl Phillips. I heard say at a conference once, like, uh, the work is never finished, only abandoned or something like that. And, um, and at some point you have to abandon it, you know, you know when to let go. So I am happy to let this go because I, because I can feel, in myself that I want to I want to try something else I want to I've explored charted certain territory and now I kind of want to know what the new frontier is and explore some other part of myself um so so I'm I yeah no I'm happy that to now they really do feel set in stone to me now like it doesn't feel like I can go back and revise them and it it feels like I just have to honor the writer who I was when I when I wrote these stories and let them live that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I want to ask you a little bit, zooming out on how you um, became a short story writer. I remember when I was back on Twitter. Um, now I'm not on Twitter in my life. Uh -huh. I'm better. <laughs> when I was back on Twitter, I specifically remember a tweet that you tweeted and. Um, it was a picture of Rihanna doing something, just being very hot and Rihanna, you know, yeah. and you tweeted it and you said, some people are Rihanna and some people are short story writers. <laughs> and this is one of the few legacies that Twitter has left upon me now. Um, can you talk a little bit about <laughs> that and also just how did you know, like, I, when I think of you, I think really Ada is someone who has a commitment to writing short stories, at least up until this point in your life, of course, yeah. that can change. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what makes you committed to the form and what do you think it gives you? I think that when I started reading short stories, like, I I think it's reading. I think it's the re reading that that did me in. Like, I, I think that, like, short stories would like gave me such a strong feeling after reading them you know it's like um and like certain novels do that too of course um but I was always always kind of shocking how like sh you know this short form can like can be so like uh forceful um and and so um you know when I was uh I, I would I used to like buy all of the <laughs> best Americans and like you know it's like very, very into reading them. Still, I still am. Um, and all the O. Henry. So I would always just like collect these anthologies and be reading these stories. And, um, you know, I, you know, subscribed, I think like my, the first journal I think I subscribed to was the public space. So it's quite special that I'm getting to publish a book with them now. But, um, and so I just, I don't know. I, yeah, I was, I was just, I think I loved that feeling, that feeling that they, that, that, that like a good ending which means just a good story um, would give me. Um, and I became pretty dogged about trying to, trying to achieve a similar effect. Um, and yeah, and I, I think it's also about, um, I think every writer, when you like fall in love with certain kinds of writing, it's just wonderful because because um, if you're a writer, you can, you can really, I, I talked about this on Tuesday, but like you can really learn what your literary heritage is you know you can go back and back and back and back so like um you know I one of the first writers that like the, the writer that really opened things up for me that showed me that you know art about people who like look like me and have have had lives like my parents like we can be the subject of great art um was Yoon Lee like she really she really showed me that and I know I know you love her too um 
and uh and then but then and then I and then when I published like my first story you know I wasn't that well read I hadn't read that much and um I still haven't you know I still I'm really lucky I still have a, a whole life of reading ahead of me but um uh someone said like oh this like you know it, it's this really you know you have a really like William Trevor vibe and I had not read William Trevor but I had read Yoon Lee so much and Yoon Lee loves William Trevor and plenty of her pieces are like homages to William Trevor. So then I started reading William Trevor. Um, and then, you know, and then I started reading Chekhov and then, so you can, you can kind of find, you can like make your family tree this way, you know, your, your literary family tree. Um, that's not to say that everyone falls so neatly into like an aesthetic I have. I was, I, you know, like, I also like love Dennis Johnson and I, I, I could only aspire to write like him, but, um, uh, you know, I think I like his writing because it's very different from the way I write, but I can appreciate it so much. So um, I've, I've lost track of the question. It was, what, what was it? Your question? Um, oh, why short stories? Oh, yeah. So yeah, basically, yeah, I, I, just, I love reading them. I love reading them so much. Like they give me such a they're, it's like, they're like eating a bite of cheesecake sometimes. They were, they were just very rich and, um, and like one bite is like enough. And so, you know, one short story, I actually like short story collections. I have to read them slowly. Like I can't just plow through from cover to cover. Um, like I would like a novel. Um, I, I have to take them kind of really piecemeal. Sometimes it takes me like a year to like finish one because I'm moving really, really slowly. Um, because each story I feel like is 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 so is so rich and it it, it keeps me, um, it like sustains me for for a while and then I and then I read the next one. So that's really just it's what I love to read. I think um I think I think we were both in that master class where like Sadie Smith came and talked to us and she said something like reading is the real joy like the, the writing is almost like subsidiary like reading is the original pleasure um yeah so I think it's just that I love to read them um and I've been so moved by them um Mavis Gallant, Eudora Welty these are um some of uh my my favorites um yeah um yeah I love hearing about your literary heritage I'm also curious about kind of your heritage more more broadly and um whether you think you know what in your life growing up uh influenced you to become a storyteller I think I've been thinking lately how like there's um such a narrative that for Asian Americans like our families don't want us to be writers or artists and certainly that's you know maybe true in some stereotypical extent I've experienced that but I also um think a lot of our families really have a DNA of storytelling in them. And um, that's so much of like, you know, the legacy that they leave us with. So I'm curious for you, when you were growing up, did um, storytelling influence you? And when did you like, at the earliest experience, the desire to tell stories? Yeah, um, well, I think like we both have artsy dads, like we've talked about our artsy dads who like did you know stem you know adjacent stem you know science things but but they both had a, a a love of the humanities and that yeah like I'll leave your father out of this but my 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 dad would like <laughs> you know, I don't wanna um, but uh but my yeah my dad like always had a love for art you know like um, he grew up in the countryside um, and at the kind of the tail end of the Cultural Revolution. Um, and um, he, you know, he had five brothers and sisters and um, and he was like the artsy um, sibling, uh, the, the artsy brother. And he like he always took watercolor classes growing up from just like a, a neighbor down the street. So um, he loves art. And when, when, and I actually, one of the comments that a reader gave me, one of my friends, I asked her to read the manuscript and, and she gave this like pretty helpful comment. Um, she was just like, just one kind of odd, just like a thing. It just, there happens to be a kind of a lot of painters in, in your, like in the book, like just, like the, often the mail is just given like said someone is a painter and it's because like my dad is an and it's like an amateur painter like so like in our home growing up he was always 
there were all like canvases like we had this like room that was supposed to be the study and we called it the studio and it was where you went to go do creative things and like my dad's paints would be everywhere the house would smell like oil when he was doing his oil paints and um so he you know and sometimes like he would really embarrass me with his love of storytelling because like we would be driving to school and he would be like so freaking moved by like the beautiful day he'd be like let's write a poem right now and he'd be like can we not do that <laughs> you know um but uh I was just thinking like dad uh but yeah so I think like I think my father like I think I think my 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 father like always just by in the way that he like, how much he appreciated art I just like I don't know, it was like an education on it, just like looking at the world, you know, just like look at this day or like, you know, try to render something into, I remember my dad would like get really frustrated at his own painting, like he felt like he wasn't, you know, capturing the whatever and I, and I, and I was reading, um, I'm reading, uh, rereading to the lighthouse, uh, which is a public spaces book club pick and there was this, um, you know, Lily Briscoe, she's like, trying so hard to paint this flower and she's like when I look at the flower I see it it's perfect it's there and then the moment I try to put paint to paper it's ruined like I can't see it anymore but if she keeps go she's like I'm gonna go back to it tomorrow I'm gonna keep going and then and then like eventually it becomes not the flower the real flower IRL flower but of the flower through her eyes it's it's her you know that's what storytelling is to me like how do you um render the how, how do where do the like the outer world and the inner world like where do they kind of meet um uh and I think they meet in the you know through like imagination creativity and um and I think you know that's uh yeah that's something the the looking uh being an observer um, I think that's something my dad was particularly good at, but I think it's something that uh, often um, when you're not the majority um, demographic in a place, that's kind of what you do. You're If you're on the fringes, you're in a pretty good place to see things. Um, you have a particular point of view that um, the inner circle doesn't have. Uh, so, yeah. Um, now that you're, you know, you've grown up and become an artist yourself, do you resonate more with your dad's process and uh, his, his urgency to write poetry? His urgency to write poetry. Well, I mean, he's like still writing poetry. Like he will, you know, he will still be moved by something and like, um, and, and, and like, and like obsess over like terms of phrases, um, and he'll like share with me, writes poems in Chinese and English. Um, my dad's an engineer by trade. So um, I, one of the things that was kind of lost in my memory for a long time, but then one night my, my brother and I were talking about it and we were like, do you remember when dad like tried to start up a blog, like a Facebook, like my dad like coded a social media site. Me and my brother were like, one of the like nine you know <laughs> users we were like beta testing it or, or whatever like um and like my dad coded this I mean we're like actually it was pretty good it was pretty easy like pretty intuitive to navigate like it was pretty good um but it was a place where you could just like share your writing like that was the blog that was the blog um and and like me and my brother were kind of like required like on Saturday it was like all right go do your pieces like go write your you know, whatever, and we could write whatever we want. We could write a poem, we could write a whatever. Like he didn't care what it was, um, commentary, um, but he just he just wanted us to be engaged with, well, with his website, but also I think with, <laughs> <laughs> he wanted engagement on his website. Right? Um, he wanted us to generate content, but he also wanted us to engage with our inner life. I think, I think he, you know, or he just really wanted us to do, to participate in something that he liked um which was writing he liked to be just like he just likes painting writing he these are the things he um he loves and he never you know got to pursue them in any professional way um but he um kind of kept them around us and I feel really I feel really grateful for that do I identify with my dad's process now 
No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think I really. I don't think our processes are are the same. Um, but I definitely, uh, you know, a pre. I, you know, the fact that I still remember that he was driving me to school and was just like so compelled by the beauty of the day that he was like, "Let's write a poem on the spot." You know, I think that that lives somewhere in me now. And like, so you know, probably, you know. Uh, yeah, it probably, it probably, even if I'm like, no, I don't identify with the process, like, of, of course, like my, my father's um, uh, love for art is, is connected to, so it's to my love of art. So I think, you know, I'm sure it's just in me. <laughs> I have to say your dad is like way ahead of his time. Like this could have been the next hot startup that's what I <laughs> that's my capital no literally because like Facebook was just beginning at this time this was like this was like early 2000s you know so yeah I know my dad was ahead of the curve and would he check like would it be like an assignment to see if you guys had uploaded your submissions it was a check but it was more like a every <laughs> anything we submitted he was like wow you know he just thought it was awesome. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he would give annoying critiques too, you know, but, um, but, but he was always just like happy that we participated. Um, and like when my brother and I were talking, we're, we're like, just suddenly all, like remember unlocking this memory. My brother was like, he was like, actually, that made me a better writer. <laughs> my brother's not a writer, my but, um, but he was like, no, I think like doing that just like, you know, was, was, was kind of good for me. And it was, and it was also just like, wow, our family was so quirky. Like, that's so weird that we just like did that. Um, but, you know, families are weird. So, but now I'm, I'm very grateful that, uh, yeah, uh, that's part of, that's part of my heritage. I have to say this all makes sense to me because when I read your stories, I have the feeling like that this is a person who has been closely observing the world for a very, very long time. And um, there's like a practice of their life. And it feels to me that you've been, have had that since childhood. So makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask you something. Why don't we talk about some serious stuff about the stories? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know that's what everyone is here for, but we can't talk about the stories too much because people have to still go out and buy the books. So we're not going to spoil too much, but the links for Ada's book is in the chat. So if you haven't gotten a copy yet, please get your copy because us talking about the book is like so middle school compared to the riches of actually reading the stories. Um, but so a question I have for you is like reading some of the stories, it feels so um, each of the characters, even outside of the point of view character feels so rich to me. And I feel um, for example, in the subject, the story could have been written from Granny Tan's point of view. In Compromise, the story could have been written from the father's point of view, could have been written from any of those three kids' point of, points of view. Um, so I'm wondering, like, how do you choose who is going to be your, your point of view character? Um, and for these stories, was there any um, draft where the point of view character was not who we see it is in this finished form? That's, that is interesting. Um, well, one thing that you're reminding me of this thing that um, Margot, our, our, one of our teachers, Margot Livesey, great writer, one, uh, one time said, she, she was like, she said like uh, secondary characters have to be interesting enough that in another universe, they could be the main character. Um, and I, I think that was always, I was always like, that's really an interesting way to think about, you know, subsidiary, like secondary characters. Um, and more than once, like journal editors, like have like said, like unsolicited, uh, oh, you know, you could, continue like write a second half of this from from that other person's point of view mm. I never did that but um the one the one point of view big point of view change that happened was in the story silence um 
when I, that story just went through so many iterations um, and it was originally just written from the grandmother's point of view. Um, I don't think it gives anything away, but a, a, a girl, a, a, a young college age um, woman uh, goes and visits her grandmother, is like staying with her grandmother and they talk. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, and that one, I, the point of view, I'd never, I'd never tried omniscient before. I had never like tried anything um, close to omniscient. It just seemed like, I feel like we've talked about our intimidation when it comes to omniscience. It feels like a very mature, sophisticated point of view that only like really experienced writers like, um, like know how to handle and, um, and our fifth we'll do it our fifth who? book our fifth books will be exactly amazing. exactly on our fifth book that's when we'll write our omniscient like novel um but you know so I didn't think I would try anything like with these stories certainly um but then in silence like it just I don't know it just like it just wasn't working this time from just the grandmother's point of view I I think I know I'm going about this question in a very roundabout way but I I think normally I think the point of view character for me and in these stories have been the person who's looking. Um, so often they are not the character that's in the spotlight. Um, the character to whom interesting things are happening is actually not the point of view character. The point of view character is the one kind of watching. Um, and so, and so again, like, that, that the observer uh, is is the the point of view character because they're the one who's like can can see and can tell the story, um, but yeah, there I in in silence it just ended up being like you know what I really need both of these characters this young woman and this old woman to look at each other and so they need to both be observers um, in order for this story to feel. Um, to feel right it just it did not feel it just it just really was not working uh when when it was just told from the the older woman the old woman's point of view um but then when i yeah it was very thrilling i i started you know kind of oscillating back and forth doing you know close close thirds uh with with each of them um and and i was it was really exciting it was like you know it was like suddenly I had two, you know, I was looking from two different cameras or something and I could, and I could see both of them and I could see what each of them wasn't saying to one another. Cause I was inside, but I got to be inside both of them. And I, so I could see like exactly what they were hiding from each other, what they were choosing not to say, what they were only saying in their heads and not out loud. Um, so, so yeah, so I think my I think my uh, narrators are uh, often the witnesses, um, but in some cases, yeah, you need um, you need two witnesses and you need them witnessing each other. So yeah, yeah, it's so interesting that you say that you usually choose the observer, or the witness character, because I find that um, oftentimes when I read stories that are like that it's really hard to um, maintain a sense of action in the story or not just feel like they're a passive character. Yeah. Um, but when I read your stories, I don't have that experience. Is that something that you think about at all as you're drafting? I do, I do, because um, I think it's, I think that's the challenge of, of like, um, of choosing to, to, um, to write from the shadow character rather than the spotlight character is that they're so in the shadow that they're just not even seen at all. You just don't even get a sense of them. Um, no, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that, I think that is a challenge I had to like put, push through in writing these stories was to make sure that, um, I mean, I used to joke, I used to, I used to make fun of my own stories. Like my first drafts are just literally someone lying in bed thinking about life like that that was the whole story like that you know and then it's like they're just they can't just lie there and think about life like this is something that's happened in the story um 
and in a similar way, like at the at the event on Tuesday, um, you know, Yi and Lee came when we she and I met when she came and gave a master class at Iowa when when the pandemic started. And uh, I think you'll remember this. She was one of the main critiques she had of compromise. The last story was she was like, "This lady needs a job." Um, what is she doing all day? Just thinking about her woes? Like, you know, she doesn't, how does she make money? How does she like pay the mortgage? You know, like she has three kids. She just sits around and contemplates life all day. Um, and I was like, okay, I hear you. And, um, and, and I, but it's kind of stuff like that. And then like, and then, and then I have to, I uh, have to fi find out what they do, you know, like where they are, who, you know, do they have friends, you know, I have to populate their life, they can't just be looking, um, they, they, you know, the world has to, uh, the world still has to be real around them, and they have to be part of it, um, but, but often my first drafts are, are often just someone lying in bed thinking about life and then and then I have to like animate it somehow I hear you and I, I feel you but I also feel like that is a lot of my life just like <laughs> thinking about life like, that's know. relatable that feels accurate to life to me <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think, well, I have a lot more questions, but let's pause here and let's take some questions from the audience and then um, we can always come back if we need to. Yeah, so we have uh, a question from Susan. What are the qualities in the stories of Dennis Johnson and William Trevor that captivated you? Well, what captivates me about each of them is very different. Uh, I'll talk about Dennis Johnson first. I just love how like fast and hard his prose is. You know, he he's, he just goes for it. Um, he's a writer who's just like fearless. He'll just, I mean, like, I don't know. There's always a car. I love how many cars there are in his stories. Fast and driving and, and they're very messy. Not messy in that, in a bad way, but they're just, they're just um, super, they're just stuffed. They're just packed with people, adventures, mishaps, mayhem. And um, I, I, I just, I, you know, I think Angel is like my, my favorite book. Um, one of my favorite books ever. And I think he's just, I mean, he introduces a new character at the, in like the final final pages of the book and then this character like becomes a big figure at the nth inning of the book like it's crazy it's just a crazy decision to make and it's amazing I mean that book is just transcendent and so um and it's I don't know I just I just think like that is a writer who like you know he just blood is on the page like he just really goes for it and I I love I love him and then William Trevor totally different um you know people have called his work quiet I don't I don't really I guess I don't I've never really totally understood what people I don't want to be dense I, I guess I do understand what people mean by that but I also think um you know William Trevor, like his, he's just good at moments. Like his, his, his moments are so, um, you just feel everything suspended. Um, when, when he, um, when, when he's telling the story, um, and, and, and everything is, it's not hard and fast, like Dennis Johnson. It's, it's, um, it's almost like meditation, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's but I, I I so maybe quiet makes sense but I but he's also you know very daring also he's 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 an incredibly daring writer in his own way um I think the I think there's a story called the called the room and um it's scary you know like he he writes actually kind of scary stuff like people doing things that would that are shocking um uh, but but he but he goes about them and he tells the story in such a measured way and I think there's something about that contrast um 
that feeling of suspension um, that is is uh, equally thrilling as as reading something like Dennis Johnson, um, but but different. Um, yeah, I I I I think like you know I can't like I probably can't. I'm not sure I can read Dennis Johnson like right when I wake up in the morning. It might be like too much, but like William Trevor, I can like always like just have with a cup of coffee and you know just that big selected um anthology and you know um make my way through 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 it all of you know the canon the cinematic universe of William Trevor um yeah so Mark comments um Ada I love quote unquote the subject may be my favorite in your beautiful book and wondered which of the two roommates do you most feel quote unquote with when you read it now granny tan or the narrator that's a spicy question um i don't know if, which if this is mark mark p um hi mark thank you for the question um I can't, I don't know. I can't, I, that's, I cannot answer that question. I, I think that's a personal judgment that each reader can make. Um, uh, I've already heard different readers side different ways. Um, but I, but I don't, you know, I don't really think it's about like who did who wrong or whose side are you on? I, I think, um, yeah, I think in writing this the story, um, I, I wanted to. I didn't want to let either of them really off the hook. I I, um, I think Belinda actually put it really well when she uh, introed me in our Lit Hub essay. It's like, in in a way, we're all subjects in each other's lives, and I think um, we're all out here perceiving one another with our base sensibilities. You know, we're disgusting. We're gross. We're people, um, and so um but we're also good and we also want to connect and um I hope that in that story you know I, I I think that those two characters do connect in their own way but it's not how either of them expected to connect maybe um yeah but I'm sorry I, I can't I don't have a I don't have a stance <laughs> so Elijah asks, when you start with an observer character, what makes it difficult to integrate them into the life around them? Yeah, well, when I started writing stories, I was like, you know, I was like, I, I had all these ideas about what kind of writer I was. I was like, and like, what did, what did I know? But I, I was like, oh, I'm a third person writer. Like I, I like, I prefer the third person. Like that, that's because I thought it was a very literary point of view <laughs> to write in. And I, um, so I thought I, that, I thought that and, um, and then, um, you know, and then I started writing a lot in the first person and, 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 and also another thing I believed was, was that uh, I was like, oh, I, 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 uh, you know, like plot and character, like plot and character are are like the the, the two cross leviathans, and and th those are what I you know have to pay attention to, and and um, and because I'm ultra literary, I care more about character than plot, and um, and then you know, and then my stories were all people lying in their bed thinking about life, and nothing happened. Um, and one of the things that really, really, really helped me populate my stories with, honestly, just inject them with with life was was setting. I, when I started to pay attention to setting and think about setting more, everything just kind of lifted off the ground. It, it's kind of amazing because setting provides so much. It provides atmosphere. It provides um, constraints, which are always helpful in the story to have constraints uh that your character has to navigate um they also provide openings you know opportunities for for things to happen um they're also literally what the character how the character sees the world so so um once i started 
paying closer attention to setting and really thinking about where is my character? What are they seeing? What's around them? It really opened things up. Um, and then suddenly, you know, they weren't just lying in bed. They were at least moving around an apartment, or, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think thinking about place uh, is, has been immensely helpful for me. Well, we are coming to the top of the hour. Belinda, was there anything you wanted to talk about before we wrap? Um, Ada, I know you don't like to talk about what, you don't like to be the question of what inspires you, but I, I do have a question about one specific inspiration and that yeah. is your cat, Tofu. Oh, thank you for asking. Can you tell us about how Tofu inspires your life and your work, please? Yeah. One second, let me just go grab her. You can display, yeah. <laughs> um, Tofu is this little girl, and um, um, she <laughs> is grumpy because she was just sleeping. Um, uh, she's my best friend. I don't know. <laughs> she's my best friend. Um, she's my writing companion. Um, and when I look at her, I just feel happy and peaceful and she's the best. She's so sweet. Do you feel like your dad, when he would look at the sky, when he was driving and think the world is so beautiful, I need to write poetry about it. That's what I feel about Tofu. Yes, she does. She inspires me, um, uh, to pick up the pen. <laughs> um, no, she really does though. Um, she's a wonderful companion and, uh, I love her very much, even though there isn't a huge feature of cats in the book, unfortunately. Sorry, Tofu. No one based on her, um, but I love her. And you have a little friend as well. I do. I don't know where she is. Otherwise, I would bring her. But <laughs> I know we're, we're, we're at time, so I... <laughs> well, that was that was simply delightful, and I am so grateful to you both. It has been such a pleasure. Ada Zhang, congratulations on a stellar debut. And Belinda, thank you for doing the honors. You were an excellent interlocutor, such a great interviewer. Thank you. Uh, and also want to thank Ruby Wang at A Public Space for all that she does and for helping make tonight a reality. We're very, very grateful. Please do check out their website. We have posted links Tonight's event has been made possible by support from the City Lights Foundation, keeping me dutifully employed and also continuing the legacy of our founder, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti, through public events like this one, our publishing program and educational outreach, all dedicated to sustaining a vibrant community of readers, writers, and independent thinkers. So, so long, everybody. Take care. We hope to see you all again soon. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.